Greetings, ladies and managers, and welcome to this narration of the new web series, The Survivor Becomes a Dungeon, a dungeon core story. If you liked Dungeon Life, you might like this as well. There is a link to the story down below. Share some love with the author. There will also be a playlist with all the chapters in it. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter Zero I did it. I got away. They have to be safe. My skin already feels cold. Back! Can't even move my arm anymore. This was supposed to be a routine run. Who knew there was a fecking whore just lying in wait in a warehouse in bumfeck nowhere? Swearing a glance over at the door, bits already cracking and giving way to the blows of the moving corpses on the other side. Huffing heavily, I used my good arm to grab the wall, pushing myself up to my feet. Let me! If I go out sitting on my ass. Come on, get me, you rotten pieces of crap! I can't help but shout. If I'm going out today, I'm taking as many of these bastards as I can. The door shatters at my taunt, my pistol trembling in my good hand as I level it at the small. Just blasting shot after shot, but it is useless. One of the creeps lunging halfway into the air, its rotten more outstretched and finding purchase on my shoulder. I couldn't even scream. More and more of the undead poured into the room. And that's it. I'm dead. Right? Candidate located. Begin transfer. What? Measuring karmic influence. Karmic what? Lives extended by your actions. 237. That's, uh, well, that's a lot of people. Lives you've ended. 86. I, wow. I didn't realize it was that many. Back them. Most of them deserved it. Undead exterminator. 3,752. Thank just a drop in the bloody bucket at the end of the day. I wonder what all this is for. What's happening now? Titles gained. Tactician, leader, warrior, defender, healer, shepherd, scout, thief, assassin, judge, executioner, arsonist, purifier, builder, farmer, chemist, acrobat, mentor, and survivor. That's a... a lot of fancy words to describe me, I guess, sir. Never seen it laid out like this. Karma measured, granting permission. Oh. Now, uh... What's happening? Aspect of life and death. What do you mean by aspect? Territory assigned. Now, uh, what are you talking about? Transfer complete. Core developed. Good luck, candidate. What is a core? Wait. What are you doing? Where am I going? Where am I? The next thing I know, I'm in some cave. I can see the entrance not too far out, but I can't make out much more detail beyond that. The cave itself is relatively shallow as far as I can tell, and it's daytime, if I can guess based on the light. I have one real question for anyone that's listening out there. Why the feck am I a little green rock now? End of chapter. Chapter 1 I look pretty insignificant, don't I? Just looking at myself, I look like one of those cheap knockoff gem beads those uh, nature lover folks would wear. I wonder if I'm an emerald, or maybe a jade, or some other kind of green crystal. It's been over a day since I find myself here. A shard of green lying in the dirt, neglected and abandoned. Honestly, I feel my self-esteem drop every time I stare at myself for too long. There's uh, nothing to do around here. 
and I'm getting stir-crazy. Looking around, there's an also an odd sensation. It's like all my senses are in overdrive, yet I'm entirely relaxed. I can see everything in my little bubble if I sort of zone out, or I can hyperfixate on this one specific pebble with three different distinct colorations on it, despite being the size of a pea. That's another thing. I can shift my perspective wherever and however I want. But the moment I try to look behind my bubble, it's like looking through clouded glass. I can maybe make out vague shapes and colors, but nothing else despite pressing my metaphorical face against the barrier. The cave itself looks long abandoned, musty yet dank and stagnant. Don't even get me started in the air. It feels uh, gross. But with that in mind, how can I tell the air is terrible? It's not like I have lungs. I'm just a glorified pebble. Can I breathe? Do I need to breathe? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe I should try breathing exercises. Focus and relax instead of stressing about my uselessness. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Hey. I... I think it's doing something. The air feels like it's shifting. Doesn't feel this gross anymore. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. I can keep breathing in. It's not like I have lungs. Right? After a moment of consideration, I decided to do just that. Breathe in. Keep breathing in. Say... What is that? I... I feel better. More, more energetic even. Looking around, I can see that the haze making me feel gross is starting to dissipate. From the outside, some breeze is being sucked in. It feels... Ah, it feels so refreshing. I keep breathing it in, and it keeps filling me up. Honestly, I hadn't felt this good even when I was alive. I stopped focusing on my breathing, but even then, the gentle breeze continued to flow into my cave. The air doesn't feel gross or oppressive anymore. If anything, it feels pretty nice. Whatever I did, the air is coming in steadily now, and I don't mind it. Two days later. So I finish finding and counting the pea-sized pebbles in my little corner of the cave. Out of them, 120 are single color, 73 have two colors, and 36 have three colors. What a great use of my time. In other news, I think my pebble got slightly bigger. It's certainly not as dull looking as it was at first. And sometimes I think I see a glimmer or something. Now that I mention it, my bubble also got a little bigger. And there are pebbles I don't recognize near the edge. So I guess that's, uh, good news? I, I wonder how long it'll take till I get to see the outside of the cave. I'm about to start counting the cracks in the left wall when some clattering catches my attention. Turning my gaze around, I spot movement at the mouth of the cave. For a few moments... I can feel the sense of panic traveling up my proverbial spine. This is the first sign of life since I got you. What's about to come into my bubble? It's... is... is that a cat? It looks more like one of those big game cats, but that's a cat of some kind. Gosh! The poor thing is both fat and emaciated. Is it, uh... it's, uh, pregnant? One hour later... So, uh, it looks like my new guests aren't doing so well. Mama Cat looks remarkably like a puma, and if I'm not in Kansas anymore, that's bound to be some coincidence, at least. 
And yeah, I said guests. Mama Cat was pregnant, but not anymore. There are now four remarkably adorable cubs. However, one doesn't seem to be doing as well as the others. They aren't nursing yet, and are incredibly sluggish. That's, uh, worrying me. I remember one of my friends would gently rub the back of a young animal and blow on their faces to help stimulate them. As I don't have hands, I can't exactly do much. But maybe I can just get some fresh air for the cub. I start taking slow, deep breaths, blowing gently on the cub. It takes a few minutes, and I don't feel my best after whatever it was I just did. But it seems actually to be doing something. The cub finally lets out some mules and scoots closer to his mother and begins to nurse like his siblings. Say, is she, uh, looking right at me? She is, isn't she? I wonder what caught her attention. I'm barely a pebble right now, after all. Did she see me glimmer? Regardless, she lays down her head and takes another deep breath before exhaling and, uh, she doesn't breathe again. Suddenly, I'm feeling even warmer. A rush of energy is coming over me and... Am, am, am I absorbing something from her? No way! You, 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 you can't go yet. I'm not ready to be a father. With a rush of panic and focus, I try pushing the warm feeling away. Sure, I feel great, but if it's from her, she can have it back. It's rather draining, and I'm feeling even worse than moments earlier. But the mama cat suddenly takes another breath. Oh, oh, what a relief. Oh, oh, she's looking right at me again. I, uh, I feel a sense of gratitude. Is, uh, she communicating with me? End of chapter. Chapter 2. So, uh, I can talk to animals now. At the very least, this mama cat. That's cool. Well, it isn't exactly talking, but more of an understanding. Whatever I did brought her back to life and connected her to me. I even feel the budding sensations of thought coming from the runt of the litter, who is seemingly more energetic than the rest of the siblings. I wonder, is it really air that I've been, uh, breathing? I know the term breath of life, but it felt more like my very strength was being sapped when I helped the mama cat and the cub. I breathe a little more, purposely taking a bunch of big gulps. I actually feel like a little light-headed, somehow, and that is a truly odd sensation with no head. Though before I can feel anything else, I begin blowing, giving the special air to the other cubs and even more to the mama cat. Now instead of a light-headed, I feel drained and sluggish for a while more, which again was a globified peril, really feels sort of strange. Looking at the cubs, they're all muting with life, which is an overall improvement from earlier. I'd say their coats were all fuller and even slightly glossy. The mama cat was the real turnaround. Even as I watched her, she had begun to fill out and looked as if she had always been her healthy big cat rather than a pitiful emaciated thing that came earlier. Sometime later, mama cat gets up, leaving, but now sleeping in full kittens to rest. Surprisingly, she pants over to my pebble, leaning in and sniffling at me before touching me with her forehead rubbing against the ground and flopping to the ground with a half. She seems really happy and appreciative. After a few more moments, she gets up and starts heading out of the cave. As far as I can tell, she's going off to get something to eat, which is fine by me, of course. Now, I'm all alone, pal, 
alone with four sleeping cubs. Really, they're somehow even more adorable now that they're healthy, happy, and stuffed. Here's where I'm starting to realize that I may not be home anymore. While Mama Catsfur had a deep ebony black luster, these kittens all have different colored coats. The runt is slate gray, maybe a shade of black, and the other boy cub is a distinct reddish-orange. Of the two girl cubs, one is almost cloud-white, while the other is quite literally a sky-blue. I'm not sure how else to put it. I'll be the first to admit I'm not all too familiar with animals, but natural genetics don't work like that, right? What is even more confusing is that all four have a distinct ring around their right ears, almost the exact shade of my gem, and I can't help but wonder what that means. Three hours later, the sun is going down outside, when suddenly I'm hit with a wave of warmth and energy. At first, I'm worried that one of the cubs died somehow. But then images flash before my metaphorical eyes of Mama Cat running down and killing a white-furred speckled deer of some kind. So yeah, that, uh, that was surreal for sure. Looking around, I can see my bubble has grown just a little bit more, whereas my pebble is now more along the lines of a chunky marble. So, um, that's also good news. The cubs are up and about, surprisingly enough. Their eyes are already open, which doesn't seem right, but... Who am I to question a cub when they can or can't open their eyes? They're not very fast, but watching them saunter and amble around just makes my imaginary heart flutter. They're so adorable. The group of them explore the small section of cave, and eventually they make their way around to me. I admittedly am a little nervous. Outside of Mama Cat, my gem hasn't been interacted with before. It isn't long until they've set upon me, and I really had no reason to worry as they gently bat me around. The cubs amble slowly, but are surprisingly mobile for having been born mere hours ago. What I do notice, however, is that my bubble moves with me, and it looks like I remain in the center of it, no matter where I go. The cubs tucker themselves up before long, forming a pile of fluff over my marble that just makes me wish I still had hands to ruffle them up. I was just watching over the cubs some more when I sensed something entering my bubble. That's a big fecking snake. What do you think you're doing here? Get the feck out. You don't belong here. Hey, stop getting closer. I see you eyeing these cubs. Back the feck off. Hey, it's not stopping. The big fecking tongue slicking in the air as I know it's already tasting the cubs. No, no, you don't. Mama Cat, get back here. Quick, your cubs are in danger. The snake isn't stopping. Why is it here now? Get away, don't. The fecking snake is already rising up and low hiss emanating from it as it gets ready to snap. No! Suddenly, there's a flash of movement, and I am feeling drained before a huge amount of warmth and energy begins flooding my system. I force myself to focus on what's happening when I see the spears made out of stone from the cave walls and floor sprung out, skewering the serpent right through its open maw and along the length of its body. Did, uh... Did I do that? End of chapter. Chapter number three. These cubs have no idea how close they came to being snake food, still blissfully dozing in a purr pile. This is the stark contrast to the nine-foot-long silvery-white serpent that's been skewered through the mouth and body, its head slowly sliding down the length of the spear with a sickening but quite squelching sound as the weight of its head brings it to the floor. 
That's another thing. I made those spears, didn't I? To think I'm able to do stuff without a body. I wonder what else I could do. I don't get a hold onto these thoughts for long as Mama Cat storms in. Her steps are silent despite the apparent speed and power she's exuding. She doesn't even look tired as she steps beside her cubs and me. I feel anxiety just oozing from her as she looks over the situation. However, she relaxes as soon enough, nosing her cubs and my gem with her myrrh. That's right, Mama Cat. Sorry for worrying you. It seems I was more useful than I thought. She looks things over a little more with a huff before deciding to head back out. Apparently, she intended on bringing her curl back to the cave so that she could eat in peace. Fine by me. Don't take too long. All right. So that warmth and energy I've been getting are essentially the same as the air I've been breathing, as far as I can tell, just from the different source and concentration. Can energy be used to strengthen animals, heal them, or even bring them back to life? With that thought crossing my mind, I look back at the giant fecking serpent still skewered in my cave. I'm still angry with it. But then again, it is just an animal. And, uh, I shouldn't blame it for its nature. The more I watch the snake, the more I get the odd feeling about what I'm about to do, words forming in my mind with the intent for it. Staring down at the face of the dead snake, I begin to focus some more as I direct part of my energy I got from it back to them, but only a fraction of it. Uruuru, my now golf ball-sized gem, convulses with a burst of light, and despite me trying to restrict how much energy was going into the serpent, it took a little more than after I named it. What comes next is an odd sight, to be sure. The serpent corpse starts to sag and deflates in a way as if its insides are hollowed out. After a few minutes, there is movement around the head of the serpent before Uruuru bursts out of what now looked like a shed skin. What was once a nine-foot serpent is now a three-foot snake. Instead of a silvery scales he had before, he now has an intricate array of nearly pearlescent white scales and scales that look obsidian black. On Uruuru's head scales was a pattern of emerald green diamond. His eyes were originally as silver as his scales, and while one eye still is, the other adopted the same emerald green as my gem for whatever reason. Looking at him now, he seems rather choppy compared to earlier. His tongue flicks as he rests in a coil. Thankfully, he has no hard feelings about how brutally he went out earlier, but seems grateful for his newfound awareness and intelligence. Now, almost politely, he excuses himself to find something to eat as he slithered out of the cave. Well, uh, that was a surreal experience and a half. What else can I do? My intention wanders around my bubble of influence, which was practically doubled, at least from where I am. I can see near the cave entrance and the back of the shallow cave itself. My curiosity is piqued, and I take in my surroundings again before going up to the wall and reaching out as I try to picture what I want to do. Gradually, I feel energy leaving me, but at the same time it's being replaced by ambient energy in the air I'm already absorbing. Before me, a neat rectangle is carved out of the wall, the stone vanishing into thin air. Yet, it feels like I'm carrying it even now. Maintaining my focus, I pull several more bricks from the wall, the material vanishing to wherever I'm keeping it. Now with the materials in hand, I go over to another part of the cave and begin setting out the stone. Still, instead of laying them out as bricks, I try shaping the material. 
the rocks being formed like clay in my metaphorical hands as I pulled myself a crude-looking spear of the size of a basketball, the surface rough and unpolished. Experimentally, I strike at it with my energy. The stone cracks into multiple pieces as it crumbles into a heap. Ha! Huh. That took more power than outright pulling than shaping the stone. As I am muddling over these new things I've learnt, Mama Cat returns, dragging the corpse of the white-furred deer animal she hunted earlier. Settling between where the cubs were and the mouth of the cave, seemingly standing at guard while she digs in. I should probably name you as well, now that I think about it. Hmm. I name you Basti, my right hand and second in command. As my first real ally in this world, I put my trust in you. My gem convulsed with a shimmer of light again, and I could feel myself being drained again as another portion of energy poured into Basti. She develops further to the point where I can confidently say she's probably an ideal specimen of her species. She's now longer and a build, yet sleeker to balance her speed and strength. She stops eating, noticing what's happened to her as her tail swishes. Basti is now looking at me with a new awareness and intelligence. Strangely enough, one of her slate grey eyes is also emerald green. Her gaze now has a feeling of some reverence as she bows her head slightly before going back to her meal. For now... The nights go on as I begin to practice manipulating my surroundings. Random bursts of energy come over me as Uruuru hunts throughout the night. End of chapter. Chapter 4. Five days later. So, uh, now that I'm not just a useless rock, I've been managing to keep busy. First things first, I did a bit of remodeling. And when I say a bit, I mean I did a lot of remodeling. The once dusty and abandoned-looking cave has now become a dome-shaped room that's 30 feet wide and 8 feet tall. The holes poked through the dome roof once my bubbles surpassed the original dome. I carved out to let some more light in. The entrance has been filled in, but also carved up to appear like a distinct triangle, with a four-foot base that is narrowed to a point at about five and a half feet up. Carefully shaped bricks making up the aesthetic. There's also a lot more space in the cave. So I blew a considerable chunk of energy to get it all done at once. But now the cave that I am is being carved out is half a dome. The walls smoothed out and the floors cleaned up of rock and pebbles, only to be replaced with a finely crushed powder from said rocks, easy on the poles and scaly bodies. As for the layout of the dome chamber, I've built an intricate locking but straight brick walkway from the entrance through to the soft rock of sand which leads up to a four-foot pedestal I've made for myself. Now, I'm no longer just a pebble on the floor, but a lovely gem on display. I'm reminded only vaguely of Indiana Jones and the one temple with a giant rolling boulder after it was all set up. At the very least, without the dangerous path filled with traps. What I did find out, however, is that I can't precisely move. I can move things around me to make me roll around, but not myself. So, to get me on the pedestal, I had Uruuru pick me up with his mouth and then had Basti sit at the pedestal for Uruuru to slither up her back and set me down on it. My gem has grown nicely to that of a billiard ball from the mix of ambient energies I've absorbed and from Basti and Uruuru's hunting. I've also made some living arrangements for Basti and her kids and Uruuru whenever he's not out hunting. With some help from the two, I've got a generous stack of dry grass from beyond my scope of view. 
I made a large bedding area for Basti and her cubs, and even carved some rocks and alcoves, as well as a bunch of odd-looking shelves and rectangles for the cubs to mess around on and parkour off of. Ururu, however, was much easier to build for, as he wanted a hollowed-out rock with a hole to slither into, which allowed him to coil up comfortably on the bedding inside. Though with all that done, I still had a ton of materials in my storage. A giant snakeskin, her bones and horns and skin of a few white-furred deers, little feathers and bones of what kind of looked like a wildly colorful turkey, a ton of dirt and rocks. Hell, I think I've even got a bunch of iron ore and even copper ores, if I'm looking at them correctly. I wonder what I should do with all of that since it's not like I need to make equipment for myself. Right? In other news, I'm finally able to see outside, and uh, it's still all blurry, but I can make out some details. First off, I know I'm on a mountain for sure, a relatively high up one, not close to the peak, but nowhere near the bottom at all. Beyond that, I can see a reasonably large sea of green, so I'm most likely in a mountain that borders a forest. It makes me wonder if one day I'll have to bubble over all of it. After all... That voice said this territory was being assigned to me for whatever reason. Regardless, I'm now passing my time drawing on walls, or instead, I'm carving murals of Basti and her cubs as well as Uruu. They're not quite complete yet, so I'm hesitant even to describe them so far. The cubs are also growing up quite nicely. I've been giving them small doses of energy in the last several days, and it affects them, honestly. If I didn't know any better, I would say that they were several weeks old already. The biggest boy club is a red-furred one, and he is a fiery and rowdy as vibrant fur would suggest. The runty grey-black-furred boy cub is quiet and reserved, preferring to watch his siblings from the shadows of the parkour boxes along the wall. The blue-furred girl cub is friendly and active, and seems to maintain a healthy rivalry with the red-furred boy cub, pushing each other around the parkour boxes and wrestling more than the other cubs. Finally, the white-furred girl cub is the sweetest one around, gentle with all her siblings, and even outgoing enough to interact with Uruu whenever he's about. She often basks in the sunbeams that pour in from the holes in the ceiling, though when she's not doing that, she's cuddling with her black-furred brother, sitting right at the edge of the shadows as he does the same for her. Masty has been more personable ever since I could given her a name. She's lounging on the steps up to my pedestal whenever she's not out hunting or doting on the cubs. She seems to regard me with a great care and almost reverence, sometimes even polishing me with her tail. When I first saw her, I compared her features to that of a puma. But now that I'm looking at her, she's more of a lioness. Her build and stature cut a much more impressive figure than that emaciated scrap of fur that stumbled into my cave over a week ago. Uruu, on the other hand, is surprisingly charismatic for a snake, his scaly face being able to pull all sorts of expressions as he interacts with the cubs, often an unwilling but cooperative playmate to them when Basti is out and about. It's almost like he wasn't planning to swallow them up when he first showed up. Uruu also rests on the steps to my pedestal when Basti isn't around, sitting in a loose coil while keeping his vigil. Sometimes he holds the end of his tail in his mouth whenever he's deep in thought. I wonder if it's a nervous tick of his, since it's not like he does it all the time. Today, I've been tending to my murals when I get the feeling from Basti, 
While she was out on the hunt, it seems that she wants me to see something that's happening out there. I... I'm not sure how to respond to that. Does she want me to get Uruu to bring my gem out to her or something? Before I can ask her to clarify, I suddenly feel our bond getting stronger, almost as if she's reaching out to me from wherever she is. Intrigued by the sensation, I do my best to reach out and meet her halfway, when I suddenly feel my consciousness ripped from my bubble. I... I can see. The best way I can describe it is that my bubble has moved to Basti. I can see as if her eyes were my eyes, which feels more limited than what I've gotten used to. But with some more effort, I can expand my awareness beyond her. Now, it's more like a third person over the shoulder view. Her forward-facing angles is clear and distinct, while the rest of the 360 views around her are opaque visually, though I can sense it in other ways via sound and smell. Before I let my mind start running with the possibilities, Basti demands my focus, which I eagerly give her. Looking at where she is looking, I saw why she wanted my attention. There were people. Wait. Never mind. Those aren't people. Those are bandits. And I know an ambush when I see it. Well, crap. A bandit is always a bandit, even in another world. Now then, what should I do about this? End of chapter. Chapter 5. Bandits. Bandits are the scum of the world. The absolute worst of the worst, and the crap stained underside at the bottom of the barrel. Beautiful communities with fantastic people have fallen to trash like this, which always infuriates me whenever I think about it for too long. These bandits before me aren't the same scum of my world, but they don't have to be. These are the beasts in the shape of people. But even then, some of them don't even look human, and I don't mean that just in a derogatory way. There are folks with green skin and tusks, others that look human but with pointy ears. Some have pure black, almost purplish skin, some bird person, and what I can only be described as a bull with muscles that can stand on its hind legs. With Basti prowling around, I count a total of ten bandits. Through Basti, I can smell smoke and the musk of filth. It doesn't take long, but I find the camp that the bandits have seemingly set up. It's currently empty, with the dying embers of fire from the morning having been improperly put out. There's little to see regarding personal effects. Some scrap of bread and dried meats over by a wagon covered in filth, though Basti can pick up the stench of dried blood. One tent looked nicer than the others, having Basti step inside. There was a proper cot with a feathered pillow and a blue cotton sheets. Across from the cot was a desk, which had some red silk covering. Having Basti peer over the edge, there are a few books and a couple of scrolls of some kind, along with an ink and a quill. Between the desk and the bed, along one of the walls of the large tent was a chest, like one of those simple latchkey chests. It's not like Basti can open it, so I don't bother asking her to. After a few moments, I decided to try and take these items like how I can pull in stuff from the cave. It takes more energy than it would compared to trying to do it within the confines of my bubble, but we clear out the only tent with anything worthwhile. Stalking out, Vasti makes her way back to where the bandits seem to set up. There's a fairly wide dirt road, and I would say an F-250 and a half could drive down this with little to no issue. The bull man and the green-skinned woman seem to be chopping down a decent tree by the road performing one of the most simplistic and overused gambits common enough to transcend worlds. Basti, 
Wipe out the spells from my territory. Let none escape. I don't need to guide her. After replying with a confirmation, she steps forward and melts into the shadows. That, well, uh, I wasn't expecting that. She starts from the outside of the group, her presence sliding up to the purple-skinned woman and a human-looking man who was shooting the crap. In a flash of darkness, Basti lunges out, claws outstretched and slashing the man's throat, pushing off the still-standing corpse and bouncing on the woman. Her head soon found itself in an open maw of Basti, her ferocious fangs clamping down and crushing the skull with a sharp, twisting motion that leaves the head dangling. Some strands of flesh are the only things keeping the head attached as a shower of blood sprays up of the neck of the woman. Basti is gone in a flash, the corpses barely landing with a dull thumps into the dirt and grass by the time she's dived back into the shadows. Whereas I've received vast amounts of energy, images, and memories that aren't my own, flashing through my mind's eye. I learned some things, but honestly, I give two craps about that. There are more scum to exterminate. Bestie circles the group, finding a loner, who seems to be off starting a golden river. Basti didn't even give him the courtesy of using her claws, lunging up and out of the shadows as he slammed her paws into the back of his head, smashing his brain case into the tree in front of him. The corpse remains there for a few moments before falling back, grey viscera sticking to the clumps against the tree as he crumpled into a heap. I receive another wave of energy, the feeling almost addictive, as I seem to grow more powerful with each kill. Finally, a good use for bandits. And it's not only me. While Basti receives only a fraction of the energy I might be getting, it is a considerable amount. She moves faster, yet proceeding with even more care as she stalks her prey, silently, without relying on shadows. Basti soon comes across a well-dressed, pointed-ear woman in purple robes and some silver trimming adorning her body and leaning on her ornate staff. She looks almost bored, watching the bandits work on setting up. She doesn't look like a bandit, but she's by no means a prisoner or here against her will. So she may as well be complicit. That means she's got to go. Basti accepts the go-ahead and is rushed forward towards the woman. However, it seems she was more aware than she previously appeared. Her gaze snapped over towards Basti at the last second and moved to dodge, receiving a deep gash along her plump thigh as she spills to the ground with a scream. Basti skids to a stop as she comes around for a second pass. Though the ambush site is soon buzzing with activity, sounds of movement rushing towards the screaming woman, Basti ducked under the whizzing arrow she sensed before I even reacted. The pointed-ear woman is shouting words I can vaguely understand, though I know for sure it isn't any language I know. Suddenly, a wave of ice launched from the end of her staff at Basti. The big cat tanked the hit with the teeth and clamped down on the woman's throat, ripping and tearing with a smooth twist as she continued to run, diving into the next shadow. Next is an even more grisly and brutal scene as four of the remaining bandits are screaming and calling out for their allies, striking blades into shadows and loosing arrows at the slightest movement. There was one grim humor for me as Basti pounced back on the black-skinned man, the notched arrow from his bow being loosed as he ended up nailing the green-tusked woman right in the eye. All that was left is the bullman, who was nearly seven to eight feet tall and wielding a massive warhammer. He was bellowing a challenge called to Basti, who accepted it 
as she stepped out from behind a large tree, her ebony maw glistening with the brutally fresh red blood of his comrades. She rushes the bull, who takes a step back due to the pure intimidation he feels facing Basti, who slides between his legs, slashing at his inner thigh with the claws and sending him to one knee. He freaks out, gripping the hammer and wildly swinging it into the air. Basti closes back on the bull, ducking and weaving past the swings as she hops onto his back, claws digging into the thick back flesh while she bites into those ribs under his shoulder. He's still alive as she pounces off of him, the force of her legs sending him sprawling as his horns rip into the dirt and grass. Basti ducks into the shadow before erupting out beside the bull, landing on his chest as he looks up at her, the sun blinding him as she sings her teeth into his throat, rubbing it free from his body and ending him. Well, Basti, it looks like you've been holding out on me. I didn't know that you could do all that. Honestly, I was expecting this to be a little harder and somewhat unfair to you. My rage against bandits has gotten the better of me. However, I'm proud of you for being able to step up to the plate in exile. Good work, Basti. Now, uh, go ahead and help me collect the bodies and gear. It looks like I have some studying to do. End of chapter. Chapter 6. So, uh, a lot has happened very quickly. First, my gem, which I now know is called a core, is a grapefruit size. Also, where I would only see faint glimmers of light, now I see a ring of light has formed inside of it, swirling like someone put a coin in a bottle and began spinning. What that means, I do not know. I also learned that magic is a universal norm here. No, not the sleight of hand magic, but real stuff. Supernatural abilities like flight, telekinesis, telepathy, pyrokinesis, super strength and speed, and all sorts of other things that I could probably only imagine. If you've got the power and the know-how, you can do it. It's fascinating, really. The implications of it all. I'm also starting to understand the applications for it when it comes to my energy, which is called mana. Also, when you see the guts of a thousand corpses, you've seen them all. Examining the dead bandits from my storage space, I can peer through their skins and insides without tearing them open. Surprisingly enough, in another world, it all sees the same stuff from the most part. Some people had lighter bones, denser bones, bigger lungs, extra flexibility, and other such things when it came to non-humans. They also have different word for humans here, which translates to a word I don't know. The memories I absorb from all of the bandits come to me in fragments. I don't know their entire lives, but I know the essential things and general knowledge. Thankfully, their memories don't override my own. It's like watching a dream. I know it's a dream and can differentiate their memories from mine rather distinctly. I know several new languages, even the languages they use for magic, which isn't all that important to me since I apparently can freely guide mana to do basically whatever I want. There was also something else. Looking over the scrolls I found in the pointy-eared woman's tent, who I now know is an elf, I found a set of orders to set up this ambush to prevent the smuggling of supplies from one kingdom to another. The orders came from an empire further north that bordered the other two territories. The other scroll was a local map. It doesn't show much detail, just the borders of the two kingdoms, along with what I assume is my mountain range to the south of the route the supply caravan was supposed to take. Oh, I have a river that comes down from the mountain. That'll be fun to find. 
From what I can gather of the memories, I have about a day before the caravan arrives, which is fine. I do want to see what all the fuss was about in the end. With all the energy I absorbed, my bubble tripled. While it's mainly encompassing a large amount of open air, I can now access more of the mountain around and below me, which has been engaging in itself. However, I haven't explored much of the outside of carving out the room to experiment with the corpses. I conjure a ball of light, which sustains itself in a solid and mostly enclosed room. Laying out one of the bandits, a human in particular, I pour a small amount of energy into him, going increment by increment until the body begins to twitch and move. Oddly fascinating how familiar the convulsions look as the corpse begins to rise. A shuddering groan emanates from his throat as he slowly shuffles about. The only thoughts I sense are hunger. Hmm. I wonder what I can use him for. And it's not like I have a use for a zombie power generator. Maybe a mole? Even then, I have no grain nor need for grain. He also is not very fast or intimidating yet. I continue pouring in more energy into him. The image of the undead from my own home in my mind as I watch him undergo weeks of mutation in a few minutes. He looks indistinguishable from the monsters that plague my world, and briefly, I'm horrified by what I've done, but only briefly. After all, it's under my control, and it can't spread a viral infection because an infection didn't make it. He's just undead because of magic. I put him to sleep and drag him into my storage, which seems to work surprisingly. I get to work doing the same for the seven other bandits with exciting results. However, I set aside the elf magic user and the bull man, having something in mind for them. For now, it's time to focus on the living. Basti casually strolled back into the chamber with my core, finally returning home after her trip to the bandits. With my newfound awareness and understanding, I can see that she's brimming with potential, mana just pulsing around her heart which is where it is for most beings. Masty, in the short time we've known each other, you've already served me well and exceeded every expectation I had about you. I grant you the title of Executioner. Use your magics and skill to cut down my enemies and the scum that dare to even exist. But know this, you are my blade. You strike when I tell you to strike, for I have no use for a blade that lashes out on its own. I hope you continue to serve me well. She watches me, my core, with reverence before bowing her head lowly in submission, accepting the title and her new responsibilities. I watch as the manner around her heart solidifies and her mere potential has direction and purpose. I feel another fraction of energy being pulled from me and into her while she suddenly looks tired, walking over to her bed and with the cubs, which was now padded with the feathers from the pillow we got at the camp. I focus on Uruu, who's dutifully maintaining his vigil of my call. Yes, my little friend, we had a rocky start, but I do appreciate you too. Have some mana, and I want you stronger now that I know there are potential threats beyond wild animals. Hey, you'll have your time, but for now, continue the defense of the home front. Uruu looks up at my call, having been anxiously gnawing on the tip of his tail now, and seems relieved. Flashing a scaly smile as he nods before watching the cave entrance from his place on my steps. Shifting my focus into the depths of the cavern, I begin conjuring small orbs of light around a natural circular cavern. Just create a spooky ambience before gathering the green sphere of light in the middle of the room. With the mood set, 
I pull the elf magic user out of my storage and pour my mana into her. Her body begins to heal, though, as she convulses, I begin to feel some swarm of resistance. Almost like a person's soul was worth more than the soul of an animal. It isn't much longer, however, when I feel the change and succeed in my efforts. With a start, she sits up, panting heavily with what I can only assume is fear. I can see a ring of green forming around her neck, which, so far, is the mark that shows my influence. She looks around the chamber, uneasily, studying the orbs with light and looking at the green ball and squinting. She absently touches her throat, beating the dried blood and checking her thigh. Her robes are still torn from where Basti had ripped into her. What the... where am I? Her lovely, almost husky voice sounds out. Is this the afterlife? No, not really. I paid a large price to get you back. I have use for you if you are willing to submit. She jumps, hearing my voice in the depths of her mind, and looks around. I can feel her anxiety and fear pulsing out of her, though she acts calmly. And, uh, who are you exactly? Well, I am, uh, my name is, uh, what? What was my name again? That's, uh, that's troublesome. I know I had a name. Everyone has a name after all. As I consider it, words begin forming in my mind that seems to be good enough name for me. My name is Bitmori, and I am the core of this region. End of chapter. I would quickly like to thank the T5 channel members and Patreons. Casper Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Barky, Lord Azrakal, It's Difficult to Pronounce, Dragzoon WRE, Holly's Sister, Arcadian. Thank you very much.